shoveled the snow and cleared the car and scraped the windshield and uh, let $4 and some odd cents burn for a few minutes at least to warm it up so you could get in here and come here, amen? And like I said before, I believe the Lord tracks all of that. I really do. I believe He tracks every mile, every penny that you spend for Him, and it's an honor that you came this morning. Numbers chapter 14, and I'd like to look beginning... We'll preach through the whole chapter, maybe expose the chapter and preach a little bit through the chapter. I'd like you to look at verse 26. When you find it, would you stand just for a minute? Numbers 14, beginning at verse 26, and I'll read up to verse number 38. <clears throat> Bible says here, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? which murmur against me. I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me, saying unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. <clears throat> your carcasses shall fall on this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land, concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, say Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye, should, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness. And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness." After the number of the days in which you search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall you bear your iniquities even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. And the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived still. What a passage. Brother Tuttle, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, if you remember back to last week, back in Numbers chapter 13, we preached about a few good men. We said the Lord needs a few good men. If you read that passage of Scripture in Numbers chapter 13, and you couple that with Deuteronomy chapter 1, and the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say it, was that God wanted Moses to tell the people to go in and just take possession of the land. But the people were the ones that insisted that men be sent in. So God set the parameters then. He says, all right, you want men. Then they're going to be the ruling men, the searching men, so forth and so on, heads of the tribes. 
But we looked last week about these men, and God's still looking, and I, and I hope you signed up, amen? You say, well, I signed up 50 years ago. Well, okay, I, I mean, look, sometimes you just need to renew your signing up papers, amen? amen. You just need to renew it, amen? <laughs> We're not talking about getting saved again. We're talking about the fact that, you know what? Uh, your relationship with Jesus Christ should mean something. He wants you to do something for Him, and every, every once in a while just pays just to sign back up. Say, Lord... <laughs> I ain't forgot about you. I know you ain't never forgot about me. I'm signing back up. And that's what we did last week. We just preached, took our time on that thing last week. But I want you to see in number 13, the previous chapter there, uh, those men, uh, they were the reconnaissance patrol. Amen. They were the, the spy crew. Uh, I call them the spineless spies. <laughs> uh, ten of them at least. But these, uh, these men, they were sought after. They were uh, sent out, one from each tribe. And they were instructed to search the land. And all they, they found a good land, didn't they? I mean, they found a good land. And that good land had great fruit. It sure did. You know what happened? The spineless spies, of course, the ten that came back, they came back and they fretted. And they ended up focusing on their fears. And they ended up focusing on how they felt rather than continuing to encourage people in God's faithfulness. And these spineless spies, according to verse 36, if you look advance all the way to verse 36, they ended up coming back from the reconnaissance patrol and they bring up a slander. See, Numbers chapter 13 calls it an evil report. Numbers chapter 14 calls it a slander. Now that gives you and I a little bit of an inside idea that it's totally different than just an evil report. Something can be true and be an evil report. But a slander infers something completely different. I just... Looked up at Webster 1828 what slander is. A dictionary will make an a, a ignorant fellow look pretty smart, amen. If you want to look smart, just look up the word and you'll seem pretty intelligent. But 1828 says that this, uh, this word slander, uh, what it is, it's a, it's a false tale or report that is maliciously uttered, tending to injure the reputation of another by lessening the esteem of somebody. So they brought up a slander against the Lord and against the land. They came back and lied about God. They came back and they lied about God's land. That gives you a little bit different perspective on it, doesn't it? Can I tell you what this slander produced? I'd like to expose the passage, just a little bit different entrance this morning. I'd like to expose the passage and then at the end preach the passage. Once we get to the preaching, it'll go real quick. Somebody say amen right there. But I'd like to just uncover it. You know, your Bible's like an onion. And you say, well, I don't like onions. Me neither. But I guess someone said they're good for you. And then I read a place that they're not good for you. All I know is if you cook them, they smell all right. And if you don't and you cut them up, they smell like dirty socks. So what is that? I, I just talk it. I just preach it. Amen. But the Bible's like an onion. You've got to peel it layer by layer, don't you? When you first got saved and you began to read the Bible, you found the outside of that thing, and no, that's really good. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but everlasting life. And the more you get into it, you realize that sanctify them through thy truth. That's the next layer. Thy word is truth. Amen. You want to know truth, you're going to have to peel the onion. <laughs> Amen. And sometimes when you peel that onion and you turn the pages of that book, doesn't it cause you to cry a little bit? And sometimes when you get eaten that, Word of God, which I know Ezekiel said it was sweet to my belly. But when you eat some of that thing, isn't it kind of strong? And you want to spit it back out? Like kids, if you order, you know, the burger at McDonald's without onion. Why? Because they're going to spit it out. I just said the Bible's like an onion sometimes. 
But you know, my favorite type of onions, my wife said, I finally found some of the onions that you'll actually eat, the little tiny pearl onions, and you cook them and they're just like melt in your mouth. Those are good onions. And you know, the Bible's not always like that, but it is a pearl of great price, isn't it? I'm just saying this morning, the Bible can be like an onion, and I think we just need to peel it back a little bit and see what's in there. Amen? I want to show you, <laughs> we doing all right this morning? <laughs> You're like, first snow of the year, preacher, what do you expect from us, right? We're a bunch of Eskimos. <laughs> but I want, you, I want you to see in the beginning part of the passage here, I want you to see, notice with me, what this slander produces. Every time you produce a slander, you start what we would call, if you're on top of the mountain, the proverbial snowball that comes down the hill. A slander is something that is false. It's made up. It's a tale. And sometimes you take part in a slander and you forget that it's really false. And you become part of that weighted snow that's coming down the mountain and takes out the village. But I want you to see from the text real quick what this slander produces. First of all, in verse 1, it produces discouragement. It produces discouragement. The Bible says in Numbers 14, 1, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Why? Because of this slander. Because of this evil report. You ever stop and think of how much you actually hinge upon what other Christians will say. Even if you don't esteem them highly, right? Even if maybe it's not the preacher or, 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 or an older saint, when a Christian says something, many times it affects you, right? You listen to what they say and you go, why did they say that? I'm just saying a slander, it produces discouragement. And you see that right in verse 1. Not only does it produce discouragement, but uh, uh, it pr- then produces in verse 2, it produces despondency. Despondency. Numbers 14, 2, the Bible says, And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness. That despondency, what it did, it produced a loss of courage at the failure of hope. What they said made their hope in God fail. We don't understand sometimes that what comes out of our mouth, and uh, if you were a decent parent, you said something like this. If you don't have anything good to say, (laughs) don't say anything at all. That's That's good mountain or country wisdom, isn't it? Over in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse uh, 28, the Bible talks about this account that we're dealing with here, and it says, Our brethren discouraged our heart, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. He's not talking about the giants yet. He's talking about just the everyday Joe, Tom, and Sally. The people are greater than we. In verse 28 of chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, it says, The cities are walled up to heaven. And not only that, and there we saw the sons of the Anakims. That's the giants. This slander, this thing was fabricated. It was partially made up. And it was meant to perjure. It was meant to discourage. And it produces discouragement. And then in the passage, in the process of time, it produces a despondency. And you begin to get depressed. Once you're discouraged, it generally, if you can't pull out of that thing, it will cause depression, won't it? Listen, we live in northern Michigan. We know something about depression. 
You go down south of the Mason-Dixon, I'm not saying they don't know anything about depression, but everyone's happy down south. I love you in the Lord, hate you in the flesh. I guess, I don't know, everyone's just happy. They just, why? More sunshine. You know what you're going you're gonna to get? You're going to struggle with this winter, getting enough D, vitamin D, <laughs> getting enough sunshine. I remember working for Ice Cream Company for a number of years. This is the message. We're going somewhere with it. And what happened, I wore all these layers of clothing on, long sleeve shirts and gloves and hats and, and all this stuff, and I wouldn't get enough, and my D levels would drop right through the floor, and I'd start getting depressed, mopey. You say, well, a preacher, is it, is, it just a, is it just a chemical thing? No, I'll tell you what, when you produce a slander, when you cling to a slander, when you fabricate a slander, when you're the one running the slander, it produces discouragement, and then in the process of time, you cause others to be despondent about what God set them out to do. And that's too, not only discouragement, despondency, but look at uh, verse 3. It then produces disdain for the divine will. The Bible says in verse 3, And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land? You can see the wheels turning, can't you? You can hear, you can hear this entire uh, narrative beginning to fall apart and go off the rails. Not only are they discouraged, now they're becoming despondent, and now they're starting disdain. They're beginning to hate the very thing that God wants for them. They're beginning to disdain it. They're beginning to look at it in a negative fashion. What? That God sent them out. God wants them to go to the promised land. And God's not sending these these men. Like I said, he just wanted Moses to tell them to go up and possess the land. But he allowed you, he allowed them to do what they wanted to do. And now they come back with a slander, with an evil report. It produces discouragement, despondency, disdain for the divine will. Look at this here in verse 4. Lo and behold, it produces desperation. In verse 4, the Bible says, And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt. Christian, they're desperate. Desperate times, you know what it goes, produces desperate measures. And when you get desperate as a Christian many times, what happens is you get this idea that because things did not happen in the Christian life as fast as you wanted them to, you didn't get the position, you didn't get the recognition, you didn't get the door open, you didn't get the financial blessing in the manner in which you thought you should, so therefore all of this that you've been doing all along was wrong. You've got to now find a new captain and go back to doing things the way you used to. That's the desperation. That's a desperate Christian. And the children of Israel, they go from discouragement to despondency to disdain against the fine will, and now they become very desperate. God never wanted them to go back to Egypt. He delivered them out of Egypt through the blood of the Lamb. And now what you're dealing with is this slander has now come all the way and it's produced the fruit that it's produced is not the grapes of Eshkel, but now it's produced a bunch of desperate People who are losing their faith and trust in a loving God. Notice with me here it goes from discouragement, despondency, disdain, desperation. Notice that it goes, it eventually produces devilment in verse 10. This slander produces devilment in verse 10. Of course, Joshua, Caleb step in there and Man, they're filled with another spirit, and we'll preach on that in just a second. Amen. Expose that too. But they say, look, guys, hey, you know, that's really not the rest of the story. The rest of the story is, hey, God sent us, and we can do this. And they begin to tell the things 
that would encourage them and they would have nothing to do with it. And because they believed that slander so long and they followed the steps from discouragement to despondency to disdain and desperation, now they're filled with devilment. In verse 10, what are they trying to do? They're trying to kill those who are willing to tell the truth. You see, when you begin to be filled with devilment, even as a Christian, you'll start shutting off the avenues in which you can hear the truth. You say, what is that? That's devilment. You say, no, I'm, I'm a Christian and I can't be possessed with the devil. Yeah, but you sure can have an influence of those devils in your life. And you might be clinging to a slander this morning and what that does is eventually through the process of time, it produces devilment in your life and one avenue and one window and one door at a time, you begin to shut off the truth. Something to think about this morning. We're just uncovering what the slander produces. Slanders are just terrible in the Christian life. You would not believe how many Christians are run and perpetuated by slanders, by evil reports. Well, it produces devilment. They, verse 10, all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And it produced devilment, of course, because... The other two good spies, right? Remember that song you learned, I learned as a kid? You know, ten were bad and two were good, or two, right? Ten were bad and two were good. And that's all I could remember, probably because I was messing around or something, but ten were bad and two were good and all so forth and so on. And, of course, like we said last week, everybody knows Joshua and Caleb, but nobody knows a Sethur. Nobody knows a Nabi. That's one of the names of the bad spies, right? Why? History flushed them. <laughs> But they're filled with devilment, and the reason they're filled with devilment is because they hear the truth and they want to shut it down. Look at verse 24 in the chapter this morning. Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, the Bible says, But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Can we look at this other spirit just for a second? This is what you call a sermon within a sermon, within an introduction. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes the narrative in scriptures, they just, they're easy to follow. And sometimes, man, it's like you really got to get a hold of the horns of the altar. But I want you to see here this other spirit. First of all, in verse 6, they had a humble spirit. Amen. That's a good spirit to have as a Christian, isn't it? A humble spirit. Nobody likes to be around someone who's proud. It's just kind of odious, isn't it? Just kind of like, one make you go, Ugh. You see someone who's proud? But they had a humble spirit. When the slander came there in uh, uh, verse uh, 10 there, what they do? They, they, they rent their clothes. They rent, what is that? They, yeah, no, not like put them on Craigslist or something like that. They rent their, they tore up their clothes. They showed humility towards God and separation from the slander. See, many times when things go off the rails, as they would say, you know what you need to do? You just need to get humble. When you see things just falling apart, my way of handling things in the past has not always been right. My way of handling things in the past is uh, if I can't control it, I must get louder. I must get stronger than the situation. And you know what they did? They just rent their clothes. They showed humility towards God and separation from the slander. And so many times God's trying to do something in our lives and we're too busy trying to get above the situation and getting louder than the situation and Lord just wants you to separate from the situation. Just hit the deck. 
verse 5 and 6, you see Moses and Aaron. They fall on their faces before the congregation. Uh, I think it's verse 6. Uh, Joshua and Caleb rent their clothes. That's humility. That's another spirit. I tell you what, them ten other spies that produce the slander, they're not willing to rent their clothes. They're not willing to separate from the slander. They're the one perpetuating the slander. Well, not only a humble spirit, but notice here in verses 7 and 8, uh, Joshua and Caleb, they had, uh, I see they have a helping spirit. You see, it was a helping spirit what they said about the Lord. Uh, what they said about the land. And what they said about the land's layout. It was helpful. You say, how was it helpful, preacher? Well, everything they said about the Lord was true. Everything they said about the Lord was, was, was helpful to the hearer. What they said about the land is, we can overcome it. That's a helpful spirit, a humble spirit, a helpful spirit. And how about this one? The Bible says, uh, uh, I, I believe they, they have an honoring spirit in verse 9. Verse 9, notice what they say, Joshua and Caleb say, Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear you the people of the land, for they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us, fear them not. Well, it's an honoring spirit, a spirit that honored what was right. Obedience over rebellion. You see, God wanted them to go into the land, didn't he? But here they're on the precipice of the land, as we preached last week. And they would rather rebel than obey. Do you ever stop and ask yourself how many times the Lord has brought you to the precipice of the next step in your Christian life, and he just wanted you to go up and possess it, but you rebelled instead of obey? But the reason that was such a devilment is because these boys had another spirit. It was a humble spirit. It was a helping spirit, and it was an honoring spirit. Your spirit ought to be one that honors God and honors what is right no matter what. Would you agree with me this morning? So the slander, it produced discouragement. produced despondency. It produced disdain. It produced desperation. It produced devilment. And look over to verse 37 in our text here this morning. Eventually, that slander, you know what it does? It produces death. It produces death. Bible said, then when sin hath finished, it bringeth forth death. Let me tell you what, Christian, in, in your life, you're always going to find that sin will never leave you better than it found you. Yes, you can get forgiveness for sin. Thank the Lord. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But sin never leaves you better. And where your heart fools you every single time is that by sinning willfully and knowing when you sin that you're just going to be all right. You're never all right when you sin. Matter of fact, you never always know what's going to happen because of your sin. Let me warn you this morning to just stop sinning. Sin is not your friend because you have the grace of God. He says in Romans 6.1, should we... Uh, I messed the thing up now. Look at Romans chapter 6. You don't just sin so you can have God's grace. Sin never leaves you better than when you found it. Many times you'll find in the Christian life that you'll struggle with a certain sin and you'll think that you've got it under wraps. But what's really going on is the devil has you on a chain. And at any time in your life, if you don't have that thing under the blood, that devil can grab that chain and yah! And pull you right back in and you're held captive at his will. That's the will of the devil. 
Romans chapter 6 verse 1, the Bible says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But that's what this slander produced. It produced devilment and it produced death. In verse 37, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. Do you ever stop to think what evil report you may have hold of these days? Do you ever stop and think what it's producing? I told you, it's like that little snowball at the top of the hill. And you, you know, you, you ever make a snowman? Packy snow, you know. Some snow ain't worth a hoot trying to make snowman with, you know. You know, it takes all day just to make a little ball like that, and then you sibling wants to come over and smack you in the head with it. But you get that nice packy snow where it's about 30, 32, 33, sometimes 34, and you can roll it across the, you know, the, the yard, and you're picking up leaves, right, from the fall that you forgot to rake up. And man, I tell you what, you put that thing at the top of the hill, and that thing gets going and bigger and bigger. That's sin. It just starts getting bigger and bigger. That's a slander. Starts with discouragement, down to despondency, down to dis, uh, disdain, uh, down to uh, desperation. Then you got devilment, and finally death. But there's one more. If you look at verses 40 to 45, not only does it kill the ones that perpetuated it, but I want you to know it produces disillusionment. Because after the children of Israel, they were supposed to go into the land, and the evil report came up, and God said, I've had it with you, bunch of Baptists. I'm not going to let you go in now. You're going to have to wander around for 40 years, one, uh, one year for every day that you uh, wasted my time and tempted me and provoked me. I mean, that's how I read it sometimes, amen. But what happens is they're like, oh, wait a minute. We messed up. You ever been there in your Christian life? I messed up. Okay, just me. I'm the only one that messed up. But they messed up, and they realize they messed up, but here they have a change of direction again without a change of heart. And now they want to go do what God wants them to do, but God ain't going to have nothing to do with it, and they become disillusioned to think that they can go forward for God when God's nowhere near them and they're because they're out of fellowship. That's disillusion. Look at verse 40. Look at verse 40. Numbers chapter 14, verse 40. I'm trying to peel back this onion before we get to preaching. The message will go quick this morning. Numbers chapter 14, you see that slander eventually produces disillusionment. I would say this, I believe there are Christians right now who are disillusioned, thinking they can go ahead and do what they think God wants them to do, and they haven't been in fellowship with God for years. God, yes, they're saved. Yes, they're eventually going to go to the promised land, but they're trying to orchestrate what God wants them to do, and God had nothing to do with it. Look at 40. And they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here. <laughs> Sounds like they're in the ghetto. We be here. And we'll go up into the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord, but it shall not prosper? Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that ye be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed. Ain't that something? In the King James Bible. They presumed that that old preacher was just full of it. They presume that mom and dad didn't know anything that they were ever talking about. They presume that, you know, they could sin and get away with it. 
But they presumed to go up unto the hilltop. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. Then the Amalekites came down, the Canaanites which dwelt in the hill, and smote them and discomforted them even unto Hormah. That's disillusionment, friend. Disillusionment. Slander produces disillusionment. God was no longer with them. And they attempt to pretend to get up, put on the right clothes, go to church, and do right. And the Lord said, you better not. I'll have nothing to do with it. All because ten spineless spies brought up a slander against God and against the land. Now, this is probably one of the longest introductions I've ever given to what I believe the message is that the Lord wants us to have today. That's all introductory material. The message today is this. When the Israelites refused to move forward and claim the promised land at Kadesh Barnea, the Lord sentenced the nation to years of wandering in the wilderness. And so I say this this morning by way of a practical application, hopefully something you and I can walk down the road with. You are either moving forward for Jesus Christ, claiming what He wants you to do, or you're just flat out stuck in a rut. You say, that's the message? That's the message. I want to talk about this, preach about this just for a little bit this morning. Just stuck in a rut. Stuck in a rut. I've told this illustration before when the boys and I did a a handful of years of logging for a a large landowner, West Branch. He had a big old uh, 1984, 85 timber jack. And we jump in that thing. And we first started going from... Uh, wherever it was, a mile back in the woods to, to pretend that we were Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox and all that. And just had a lot of fun with father and son and chainsaws. Doesn't that sound fun if you're a guy? Chains- no? Okay, well, we thought it was a blast anyways. So we began to tread back through that landscape there, up through the, the hills back there in Gladwin County. And uh, you, that big old machine had tires you could bury a small family. And they were literally like that wide. And about, I think they're about that tall. And uh, you, you know all about that stuff there. And, and uh, we start going back there, and they start. Eventually, what I'm getting at is the more we went back and forth, it created some ruts. So that after a while, you can ask the boys, we'd get there, and you get the rain that come in the late summer, and you get through the mud, and then you'd start digging up clay. And the next thing you know, those tires are resting right on those axles. The mud is. And you could get to the one point where you'd go probably almost a half a mile and you'd just ease that big old green, rusty, whatever, that big old timber jack and drop it in those two ruts and just take your hands off the wheel and just set the throttle lock at about five, six miles an hour, take your foot off the pedals, pour a cup of coffee, and that thing would take you all the way back to the landing. You say, what is that? That was a little bit of a rut. <laughs> you weren't getting out of it. Take an act of Congress to get out of a rut. And you know what, Christian? Some of you might be here today and you're just stuck in a rut. You say, why? Just go on the same path of ground every single day. And you're either claiming what God wants you to claim, you're either heading towards the promised land, or you're just stuck in a rut. Israel got stuck in a rut for 40 years. And a lot of Christians, you know what they are? Just stuck in a rut. Just getting up doing the same old thing they're always doing. Nothing's growing. In a rut, there's no fruit. There was no grass in those ruts ever. There was no apple trees, no pear trees. There's no berries. Just why? 
No fruit. Barren ground. Christians stuck in a rut all the time. Sometimes you get in a rut, and you don't even know why you're there. You don't even realize you've been there as long as you've been. And me and the boys are getting that timber jack, and we go all the way back there, and, and every once in a while we come to a place that was unfamiliar, and it jump out of that rut, and then you had to actually steer. <laughs> I want to preach just for a few minutes. It's five to the hour. I won't be long about being stuck in a rut. And we see it right in the passage. You see this rut, these, uh, these, uh, these children of Israel, they're stuck in a rut because they wouldn't move forward the way the Lord wanted them to move. You realize there's only one direction the Lord wants you to go, and that's forward. The old preacher said this a while back, says neutrality towards Jesus Christ puts you on the devil's side. You and I both know if you get in the river, down where we're at, the rifle river there, and you put your uh, canoe, or who uses a canoe, what is it, a kayak anymore, or a tube, you jump in there, and you don't paddle, you're going to go whatever way the current takes you. And let me tell you what, the current of this world is always going to take you the wrong way. Always going to take you the wrong way. You have to be going somewhere with a purpose. That means you have to be putting one foot in front of the other. Now look, if you don't know where to go, we've always said this, if you don't know what to do, don't do anything at all. Now you get to that point, but a lot of Christians know what they're supposed to be doing. It's not a hidden thing. It's not a mystery. They know what they're supposed to be doing, but they've not been doing it for so long, it's become a rut. And they say this, well, you know, I'm, I should do better. You're in a rut. I know I don't do what I should. You're in a rut. You know how long you've been in a rut? You see, the, the heart is deceitful and desperately. Wicked. Your heart will will fool you into how long you've been in that rut. Now notice this. I want you to remember what you already know. Never forget that as a Christian, you are only as close to Jesus Christ as you want to be today. If you are not close to the Lord, if you are not currently in fellowship with Jesus Christ, it's not your wife's fault. It's your fault. If you're here today and you're not as close, if you, you said this, I want to read my Bible through uh, once this year, and uh, I don't think it's going to happen. That's your fault. That's not the Lord's fault. Well, you just don't understand. That you, it ain't take much to fool me, man. I'll give you that much. But it doesn't matter. It's your fault that you're not closer to Jesus Christ than you are. You're only as close to the Lord as you want to be. You're only, can I say it like this? You're only as spiritual as you want to be. I want to preach just for a minute here about this rut. Some Christians are stuck in a rut, and some have been there a long time. And some have forgotten how they even got in there. And I hate to say this as your preacher before, I've got to Tuesday and Wednesday, and I've recognized the ruts. I said, Lord, I need the D9 or something to pull me out of this rut. And he says, Okay. Do you really want out? Yes, Lord, I want out. Okay, well, you might need some repair work when you get out because when we jerk you out of this rut that you've built, you might have to go in for some maintenance. I understand. And it pulls you out. Can I just show you a couple things of this rut? I want you to see what the Lord says about this rut that you're in according to our passage. Let me give you this one. Number one, you're often stuck in a rut, verse 22 of the text. You're often stuck in a rut because, number one, you just won't listen to the Lord. Bible says in verse 22, Have not hearkened to my voice. You ever stop and think that the reason that you're in the rut that you're in in your Christian life is because you just stopped listening to the Lord. 
I didn't say you did it intentionally, but maybe you did. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe someone treated you bad, and you're like, well, if that's the way it's going to be, forget it. Or maybe you got too busy, and you knew you needed to listen to the voice of the Lord, but you listen to the voice of the workplace, you listen to the voice of your peers, you listen to the voice of whatever you are interested in, the next thing you know, you're just not listening anymore. Many times in the Christian life, you get stuck in a rut of doing nothing for Jesus Christ, not moving forward. Listen, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, we need to abound in walking and pleasing the Lord more and more. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep growing. You can't quit. It doesn't, you don't hit a certain age and I have arrived. Paul says, you, I have not apprehended. You arrive when you arrive. But never before. A lot of Christians today stuck in the rut because they just won't listen to the Lord. Same Christians that won't listen to the Lord, they won't listen to the preacher. A lot, a lot of Christians think that the preacher is up here giving suggestions. Maybe about buying a car, yeah. Maybe about football teams, that's a suggestion. When it comes to that book, when it comes to this local church, I'm not going to give you suggestions. I'm going to give you exactly what I believe God wants you to have. But what you do with it is up to you. A lot of Christians stuck in the rut. They won't listen to the Lord. They won't listen to the preacher. They won't listen to mom and dad. Mom and dad, they're just dumb. You know, I mean, look at how slow they get out of the chair. I mean, how dumb can you be? <laughs> right? I mean I, I mean, I can lift that whole pew and they, they can't even, you know, they can't even get their shoes on. Oh, they must just be ignorant. Won't listen to parents. Won't listen to preachers. Won't listen to your spouse. Well, preacher, I'm the man of this house. Okay. Sure are, buddy. Won't listen to reason. You say, why? Just stop listening to the Lord sometimes. Remember Abraham? Friend of God, right? He listened to his wife one time. He shouldn't have. <laughs> Made a real mess. I mean, they're still blowing each other up over there because of that. That's Ishmael. That's the Arabs. I figure one day they're going to run out of ammunition, amen, but they still have some. Keep blowing each other up. But you know, interesting, just a couple chapters later, that's in 16, I believe it's around 21 or 22, that the Lord says, in everything that Sarah has said about thy son, hearken. You say, what are you getting at? Well, look at, sometimes the Lord will use your wife, guys. But here's the thing. You have to be in such a relationship with the Lord as to determine that what she says, does it line up with the book or does it not? But if you're not careful, you're just a good thing. You're thinking you're king tut, and whatever that woman says don't mean nothing anyway. Okay, help yourself, Abraham. Some Christians are stuck in a rut because they just stop listening to what God said. That's verse 22. Can I give you another one? You guys are thinking real hard this morning. I can hear, the, I can hear the, the wheels turning. No, we're not ready to go on yet. Verse 22. Notice what it says in verse 22. They've, someone's seen the glory of God, hasn't they? You know what that is? That's his provisions. That's his power. That's all that crew saw out there, right? Red Sea. You can tell, amazing. Water coming out of a rock, the rivers of uh, the waters of Mara being made sweet again when it was uh, bitter as could be. 
They'd seen God's power. They'd seen God's provision. they all seen God's patience. Notice in verse 22, it took ten times for the Lord popped. You see that in the passage? Don't take my word for it. Ten times they tempted the Lord, and now the Lord's had it. Right, moms? Right, dad? I mean, every once in a while, you're feeling pretty good. You're feeling pretty gracious. And the youngins are messing around. You're like, oh, that's, that's okay. I mean, you catch you on the wrong day. You're throttling Junior over that, right? You're feeling pretty good today. You're feeling spiritual. You and the Lord are like this, right? Yeah, it's all right. I'm feeling gracious. Ten times. Here it comes. Whop! Ten times. They've seen his provision. They've seen his power. They've seen his patience. And finally, he pops. Sorry about the alliteration. It's there. Lord pops after ten times. A lot of times Christians are just stuck in the rut because they won't listen to the Lord. But yet still, they tempt the Lord. Still, in verse 23, you know what they're doing? They're still provoking the Lord. Why? You won't listen. Well, I just wish the Lord would talk to me. Why? You ain't going to listen. Are we doing all right this morning? A lot of times we're like, oh, the Lord, He just doesn't talk to me and. You go, and he walks with me. I just wish you'd walk with me. You ain't listening to him. He's already talked to you. He's already told you what to do. And you said, ain't doing it. You're stuck in a rut. In the Christian life, many times you're in that rut because the Lord has already dealt with you. He's already talked to you. And you think sometimes that the Lord is just going to, Oh, please. Oh, please, Jeremy. Oh, please, will you do right? Oh, please, will you not say those words to your wife? No, he's going to tell you, and when you don't listen, he's going to go, have it your way. And you're just out there in the rut, slugging in the mud. No joy. You've seen God's power. You've seen God's provision. He's been really patient with you. You keep on provoking him, but you're stuck in a rut, and you've got to get out. Well... Some Christians are stuck in a rut because you just won't listen to the Lord. I won't preach this one too long in verse 29 because we preach the whole message on it. Some of y'all are stuck in a rut because you just keep complaining. Just keep complaining. Your complaints is what keeping you in a rut. Verse 29 says, which have murmured against me. Now look, the Lord has given you throughout this chapter all these reasons why he's setting them to go for 40 years in the wilderness. Why? They wouldn't go forward and God said go forward. Listen, I'm telling you what, Christian, God has designed for you to continually put one foot in front of the other, continually grow in fellowship, continually walk closer to Him. You don't get here and stop and go, oh, it's been a wonderful 30 years. It's been a wonderful 30 years in one day and two days and three days. And He's so precious to me. And I thank God for this. It's never take time, just stop and say, I remember when I used to do this. I hear Christians say that. I remember when I used to serve the Lord with gladness. Well, what are you doing now? I just hit something right there. This use to Christianity is not how God ever intended it to be. The Christianity is not just so the young people can get in and, well, you know, they got strong backs, you know, and they can do the, they can clean and they can sweep and they can do. I did my time. Did you? Did you do your time or did you do something for you? Stuck in a rut. Stuck in a rut because you won't listen. Lord, stuck in a rut because you just keep complaining. Verse 
what is it, 29, which have murmured against me. You get up, you complain because your hind end hurts. Now, mind you, he's giving you breath. Mind you, you can still go use the bathroom on your own. That probably is not a big deal to most of you until you have ever had to assist somebody. And then you realize, I got it pretty good. I mean, you really want someone taking care of you on the toilet? Aren't you thankful that you can eat your own food? Aren't you thankful that you don't have to have all your food? I remember uh, my parents had a, an AFC home, and, and some of the people, man, you had to, they had to eat a slurry. Aren't you thankful that you can just cut a nice venison steak and chew it? Some people can't. You say, why am I in a rut, preacher? Because you just won't quit complaining. You're so tied up with this world. Some of you are still so tied up with the midterm elections. Guess what? God's still on the throne. Amen. <laughs> and we're closer to going home to heaven. Amen? Well, yeah, I, I just don't think it's right that you don't what? Get hung up like you? Okay. Help yourself. Well, I don't think you're very patriotic. I already gave one dad to this country. I'm not going to give any more. My, my family, some of my family went and fought in the war so I didn't have to. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You just might be a little bit hung up. Why? You keep complaining. You keep complaining. I'm just trying to throw this out there, and it won't all stick. Amen? You'd be like, oh, no, I don't, I don't complain very much. Just ask your wife. Okay, don't. We want you all to come back tonight. Just don't fight. Well, some of you all are stuck in a rut because you won't listen to the Lord. Number two, some of you all are stuck in a rut because you... Keep complaining. Now in verse 2, they complain against Moses and Aaron. See it? Verse 10, they're ready to stone Joshua and Caleb. They're complaining against them two fellows. And in verse 29, they're complaining against the Lord. The fact of the matter is that some of you all would rather complain than offer praise. You look over there in Romans chapter 1, it says, Neither were they thankful. Why? Because they were bad people? No, because they refused to glorify God when they had the chance to do it. Has God met any needs this morning? Or, or this morning, yeah, this week? Last week? Did you glorify Him when you had the opportunity to do so? You know what I mean? The Lord meets a need and you're like, oh, and all of a sudden you just pipe down on it. And you're like, oh, thank God. Glory to God! Well, we just don't get that excited. You... you whatever you do for Wheel of Fortune, but you can't give God the glory? Oh, yeah, Vanna, flip them letters. I got it. <laughs> but the Lord provides. He pays a bill, and then the Lord gives you some good health, and you wake up, and you feel like you can get something done, and, and you're not depressed as you usually are, and you're like, oh, I'm sure glad I feel good today. And the Lord's like, what am I, chopped liver? Why? You keep complaining. You'd rather complain than offer praise. We're doing all right this morning. I'm just trying to give you some insight why you might be stuck in a rut. Listen, as your pastor, I've had to learn this lesson. I'm here to preach to people who love the Lord. I'm here to preach to people who want to grow. If that's not you, I'm praying for you. 
I'm not super spiritual. Do not ask my children. But the reason so many Christians are stuck in a rut is because they'd rather complain than offer praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. The next time you're up against the wall and you, your deceived heart can figure it out and you're ready to uh, complain, just make yourself praise the Lord about something. That will be the most awkward thing you've ever done. Stuck in a rut this morning. I'm praying you're not stuck in a rut. If you are, you can get out. Let me give you number three. You're stuck in a rut because, look at verse 31. You won't listen. You keep complaining. This is a tough one. You really don't want what God wants for you. You see it? Verse 31, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. Did the Lord want them in the promised land? You better believe he did. And you know what he says about the children of Israel? You despised it. And you offered up this lame excuse like, I got to spend time with my family. And you know what he says? I'm going to give it to them and I ain't going to give it to you because you didn't want it. You ever stop and think, do I want what God wants for me. This is a tough one because this boils down to being content. And I tread lightly on here because so many difficult lessons in the life of your preacher has had to been learned about contentment. Am I content with where God wants me or do I feel the need to continually orchestrate where I think God should have me? Remember, God's not taking you anywhere. He's trying to make somebody out of you. Amen. A lot of times Christians get stuck in a rut because you just don't want what God wants for you. You want more movement. You want more money. You want more praise. You want more recognition. And God says, no. Over in the book of Job, I hid this little nugget of truth in there. The servant desireth the shadow. You want to serve me? Then get used to the shadows. You want to serve me? Then get used to not being recognized. You want to serve me? Then get used to pain. You want to serve me? Get used to being unnoticed and pushed over and, and taken advantage of and getting your heart ripped out of your chest. And the fact is, Christian, you can get stuck in the rut because you just don't want what God wants for you. You want what God wants? Are you willing to stop and say, Lord... Okay, I've been orchestrating some things because I, you know, I just thought I'd help you out a little bit, you know. Because if my backup tool goes, I've got, you know, three more. But I really want what you want for me. The problem is, is the Lord's always able to provide. We're just not satisfied with the amount of provision that He often gives us. And we're like, well, Lord, I know you put that verse in there. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. But my bills ain't paid. He didn't make the other 40000 a month that you need. <laughs> that was you. A lot of Christians stuck in a rut because they just don't. Is this, isn't this difficult? It is for me. It's pointed. You get stuck in a rut because you just don't want what God wants. You want what you want. And you force your way, you orchestrate your will because you're self-willed. And then the Lord's like, okay, I I'm not going that direction. I, I know you want to and you have a free will, so I just have to back off that thing. And here you are. And the old timber jug 
flowing, throwing mud, you know, whoo, isn't this great? Look what I'm getting done. What? Nothing. You're burning gas. Stuck in a rut because you won't listen to the Lord. Sometimes Christians get stuck in a rut because they just keep complaining. Sometimes Christians get stuck in a rut because they just don't really want what God wants. God wanted them to have the land, and Israel said, nope, don't want it. Too much work. Don't you want to be closer to Jesus Christ today? I do. But you know what I know? I can preach this thing, and I can get everyone up to a froth, and we can bring it up to the fans. Ah, And then I get home, and all that stuff goes away, and the Lord's like, you want it? Then you've got to put me first. You've got to draw close to me. You've got to get out my book. You've got to put your devices away. You've got to put your strange gods away, Genesis 35. You've got to carve out time on purpose to talk to me. And then once you're done with that, then we'll see how bad you want it. And all this preaching is good stuff, and all this amen and is the right thing, but at the end of the day, it's just you and God. And he says, you want what I want for you? Then take one more step closer to me. And the Christian goes, nope. <laughs> I like my church from this distance right here. I like my religion like this, Lord. See, I can see you, and I see your provision, your power, your patience, and every once in a while I provoke you, but I'm, I'm good right here. And the Lord's like, well, then you're going to have to stay in a rut. Let's move on here. Too much work. Too much work. They wanted to get rid of old past preaching. They wanted to get rid of Moses. Moses told it to him straight. Moses wasn't perfect, was he? He was a mess, man. He left Egypt a mess. His house was a mess. But God said he was faithful in his house. And they wanted to get rid of him. Many Christians are stuck in a rut because they don't want God wants for them. They want to despise. I'll give you the last one, number four here. Christians are often stuck in a rut because, in verse 35, deep down inside, they're against God. They are against God. And your go-to form of communication in verse 36 is a slander. Stuck in a rut. Why? You're against God. Bible says in verse 35, that are gathered together against me. Verse 36 says, by bringing up a slander upon the land. Can I remind you what you already know this morning? So many Christians would rather listen to slander than the truth. Christians would rather sit down with a cup of coffee in their hand, and they would rather slander the very sons of God, their own brethren, than to deal with truth. You say, where is this coming from? The passage. You said, you mean to tell me you don't have an ulterior motive? Yeah, I'm preaching at your heart. Just, it's there. People would rather deal in slander than they would the truth. You had 12 spies. You're going to tell me that those other 10 were all just inherently wicked the moment they left? I'll tell you how I think it happened. Just, I'm surmising. One was a real negative Nancy. And he started whispering in someone else's ear. And after about the tenth of day, he's like, well, I can see your point of view. Well, I, I agree. I, I don't think Moses should handle stuff like that. No, you're right. And, and then about day 15, about five of them were in it. Well, you know, he's getting old. 
Oh, preacher, he's getting old. You know, that preacher, he's, he's old school. He doesn't understand what we understand. We're the next generation. You see what I mean? And by the time they come out, they got a slander on their hands. Christians would rather deal in slander than they would the truth. They'd rather slander the sons of God. Now, that, how about this? Christians would rather slander the Savior than tell the truth. You ever stop and think of what comes out of your mouth, how much it slanders the Savior? That's a tough one, isn't it? When, you, when you're really okay with sitting down and you're really okay with slandering the brethren, you're slandering the Lord. Why? Because you both got the same father. You're kicking your own family. And when that happens, can I just say this? I'm not God, but you just might be stuck in a rut. If you're willing to enter into and engage in a slander, then the truth. What's the truth? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, think on these things. Got a problem with your mind? Think on the right things. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Good. Keep it that way. I don't want to know. Right? I don't want to know. Why? Because I like you. And you tell me I won't like them either. What is that? That's loyalty to you. But I need to be loyal to God. Be careful about your slander. It's always going to take you away from the Lord. It'll get you stuck in a rut. Christian, are you stuck in a rut this morning? Or are you drawing closer to the banks of Canaan? Are you putting one foot in front of the other? Are you making it a point every single day to say, Lord, I don't know how far I got, but I sure would like to get one step closer. Just, how about just a half a step? How about a pinky toe closer? Just a closer walk with thee. Granite Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Is that your prayer? Or maybe stuck in a rut this morning? Head bows, eyes are closed. Miss Kern's going to come play this morning. Sometimes, Christian, you get stuck in a rut. You don't even realize the deepness of the ruts. Can I exhort you today to get out of the rut? For if you stay stuck in a rut, you know what happens, don't you? The longer you stay stuck in a rut, you begin to rot spiritually. And listen, people are praying. You know how many people didn't make it out of the wilderness, right? Lots. They dropped like flies. I'm telling you, if you stay in the rut in your Christian life, it will always lead to rot. It will rot your spiritual life from the inside out. It will eventually spiritually ruin you. I'm just trying to help you this morning. If you're in a rut, come ask the Lord to pull you out and draw close to Him today.